0: All righty, here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Mike Williams and My Capital Idea. This is the the Defenders of Capitalism Project, and I'm joined in studio with my co-host, Mitch Whitus, and we are here to talk about election integrity. The big one. The big one. It it should be interesting. Uh, You know, obviously with the news coming out about the Fox News settlement with Dominion. Just happened yesterday. Just happened here uh, as we're recording this. And so it should be a really interesting topic because we don't always agree on everything with regard to, well, uh, there's a lot of things we might disagree on, but but we have found that there are times when we uh, talk about voting and elections and we don't necessarily have the same agreement. We are, I think, mostly in agreement that the whole theme of the election is stolen from t- 2020 is bogus and should be refuted and the people who keep perpetrating that uh, are really not doing anything constructive in terms of our civil discourse or furthering the, the cause of freedom. And that's what we're about here on the Defenders of Capitalism podcast. We're uh, mainly about talking about free markets, individual rights, people understanding the proper role of government but it's an interesting topic to say. Okay, well, this is how we this is how we go about electing people. This is how how we go about public policy change. Um, that's a big part of what we do in a quote republic or quote democracy. I mean, that's a whole different uh, rat hole that we've gone down a little bit before. But I'm glad you brought this uh, idea to the table, Mitch, and I think it's worth talking about. So, what are your initial thoughts on on Just the topic, forget about the the Dominion thing, we'll get into that, but just the topic of election integrity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's become an evergreen issue, which is why I think it's important to talk about. You know, this became a huge issue in 2020, in part because of the Dominion thing, but here we are, 2023, people are still really angry about it, there's a lot of confusion about it. And then, of course, we have the guy who really started it all, my favorite boisterous New Yorker, Donald Trump, running for president again, uh, making the same claims that he made a few years ago. So it's something that's part of our discourse now, and I think it's really important to, like you were saying, Mike, take a step back and say, okay, what's actually important? If I want to advocate for liberty, want to advocate for capitalism— how should I think about this issue? And overall, I have gotten really tired of hearing about the election integrity craziness going on because largely I see it coming from from people who, some of them I think, really do believe election malfeasance occurred, and other people uh, I think are just more interested in in sowing chaos uh, than they are in actually solving anything. So I've been really disgusted and disappointed with the way everything has turned out the past few years. So, yeah, glad we're talking about it now.
0: You know, it's interesting you say that uh, it's evergreen, but you talk about Trump. I mean, the thing is that it's evergreen in the sense that all elections in American history— Obviously, there, there are times when someone wins overwhelmingly, and everybody pretty much accepts the the outcome. But, but many presidential elections in American history, and certainly many uh, recently, even before uh, Trump uh, via Biden, even the one with uh, Trump and Hillary, uh, there was lots of people on Hillary side, on, on the on the left or on the Democratic side, who were saying who were using some similar language, right? So this whole idea of election integrity being an evergreen. Issue is true because it's been going on for a while, but it's kind of been elevated ever since 2020. It and, has, and with uh, with uh, the Donald, it, it's it's a whole new level, and and it's not a good level um, because it does. I think it does make more and more people question the institutions that we have now. Maybe they should, and, and that's partly what we're here to to discuss. Is how much should people trust elections, how much should, and what is the point of elections in the first place, but I wanted to make the point that, uh, that there, there have been, you know, back to, uh, Gore v. Bush, you know, there was, there were lots of accusations. I don't know if you, how old were you then? I would
1: have been, I I remember I was eight years old, (laughs) Uh, oh, but I was a precocious young man, so I remember watching the news and, uh, I think what the election dragged on for three weeks right. about, and it went through the Florida courts. And I remember, you know, being a good George Bush supporter, <laughs> you know, really hoping he pulled through.
0: Well, and there were, but there were people uh, at, at that time, and who still maintain to this day that George Bush stole the election from Al Gore and had the help of the Supreme Court to do it. Uh, you know, the 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 phrase "hanging chads," which is just referring to paper ballots and whether the punch card, the, the little hole punch thing, the Chad that you're poking out to say, here's who I'm selecting in this election, uh, you know, whether, whether if you didn't punch it out fully, <laughs> whether you really meant to, po- uh, to vote for that person or if there's a, a little piece of paper kind of hanging there, this hanging Chad there, uh, whether that indicates that uh, a ballot was uh, not voted properly or wasn't counted properly.
1: Well, Pat Buchanan may have received a lot of votes from elderly people in Florida who didn't wear their glasses that day. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I think the point, though, Mike, is that that was contentious, and it was something that was kind of decided in the courts. It was. But we didn't, we didn't come to war over it. People did just kind of accept it. Not everybody, I understand, but as a society, we accepted it and moved on. But today, things are so much more tense um, and I don't think that's good.
0: No, it isn't good. Although th- there is a place for tension, there is a place for um, outcry, for for um, disobedience, civil disobedience. There's a there's even a place for uh, revolution. I, I don't think we're there yet, uh, and I say yet because I think we're on the path to that. I, um, I don't think it's necessarily something that's inevitable. But we are, to your point, we are moving in that direction where it's just more and more intense and more contentious. Uh, people don't accept the integrity of someone else, even if they've just lost an election. They're, you know, if they lose, they're, they're questioning the fact that uh, this person or this group or this party is not honest. Um, let's touch on this whole Fox News story, though. What it boils down to is the Dominion Corporation, I think it's a corporation, right? Dominion Voting yeah, Systems. Dominion,
1: Dominion Voting Systems. They're based here in Denver, I think. They uh, sued in 2021 Fox News for saying, hey, a lot of your hosts made false claims and have damaged our company's name. And that finally, the lawsuit finally comes to fruition in April of 2023. The trial starts. And then we get the news that day one, they've settled.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And this is something we should, I believe we should stress on this, is that that this is a major news agency, perhaps the most watched news channel in the nation. And they basically settled a lawsuit admitting, I mean, they didn't have to admit in court, but admitting that they made false statements uh, and that they are paying off this company to not have to go to court. So it wouldn't be... As publicly known, because the lawsuit would would actually bring all the things out in, into the open.
1: Yeah, seven hundred eighty-seven million dollars settlement.
0: Yeah, that's a that's a huge number, and um, there are a lot of people, and I would say myself included, at times who who look at Fox News as a source of information, and they should be looking, as I am right now, more askance at the the. Level of integrity or the level of news that's that's peddled by this organization. Now, I, I do think it's important to note you know, there is a distinction between opinion make, you know, opinion editorial versus news. And from my standpoint, uh, I may be wrong on one or two people, but it seems like the people who really did misguide, mislead, lie about. Dominion, the election, and so forth, were on the opinion side. I think there's uh, some pretty good reporters, some pretty good journalists, uh, if that's possible today, on the Fox News side, who were very upfront, saying, "You know, we've investigated this, and and uh, and the things that are being claimed here are false about Dominion." Well, and I think and about that the way. election generally
1: that was part of fox news's defense right is saying hey this is free speech right, you right. know we have these commentators out there they get to say what's on their mind dominion comes back and says yeah you get to say what you want but you don't get to say that our machines stole an election you know make false claims about what our product is
0: doing exactly exactly and that's that's why it's important that you have quote the rule of law where you can actually have evidence and discovery and the whole procedure of due process that says, okay, you're making a claim. Uh, on, the, on the side of Fox, they're making claims about this being a stolen election and corrupted voting machines. And then you know the, the point about Dominion is saying, well, okay, you're lying and we're going to prove it. And they had evidently overwhelming <laughs> evidence of hypocritical texts, emails, uh, comments behind the scenes. What, what, what? For example, Tucker Carlson might see in, say in front of the camera, and then you know, within hours, say off camera, which would be totally discrediting what he said on camera.
1: Yeah, it's almost like he's an entertainer <laughs> who who doesn't always say what he might say. What he thinks his audience wants to hear.
0: You think that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah, that's uh, that's much. my point. You know, I, I said if there's such a thing as a journalist today, and that's part of the challenge is that you have. It's extremely competitive, and you have uh, news agencies who, who are competing for an audience who wants to be entertained, right? I mean, do we have an audience who really are truth seekers, news seekers who say, no, I want, I want the facts. I want, I want actually to be able to... It's funny because Fox News used to have this... I don't know if they still have that, the little tagline, you know, we report, you decide, right? Yeah, Something to that effect. And, and I think that was an effective marketing effort on their part early on, to say, you know, we're going to try to be neutral, we're going to try to be fact-oriented, but this certainly puts a dent in that reputation.
1: Well, and something else, too, that, that's been interesting happening right here in Colorado. We have uh, the now infamous county clerk and recorder for Mesa County, Tina Peters. She, uh, she's hung out with Mike Lindell. She went to one of his symposiums a couple of years ago on on election integrity, quote-unquote. Uh, she's a firm believer that Trump won in 2020, <laughs> and uh, she is accused of allowing somebody to secretly download data from uh, a voting machine in, in her office to prove that malfeasance occurred, so <laughs> effectively violating uh, voting security procedures to try to prove that um, a previous breach had occurred.
0: So her point was I need to break the law to prove that someone's breaking the law.
1: <laughs> well seems seems like it. It you know, it hasn't of course we're all innocent until proven guilty, despite what Nancy Pelosi might say sometimes. So you know, she'll have her day in court, her trial is supposed to start later this year, but yeah, my interpretation is she's saying, I need to break the law in this instance to show that a big break in the law happened in twenty
0: twenty. Why is that, that lawsuit taking so long to, to get going? Because you know, she was uh, accused and um, arrested for that, right? Yeah, well, she's a done ago. a few
1: things. She kicked a cop. Um, she's done a lot of...
0: But I'm wondering why this, that, that uh, case is taking so long to actually go to trial. I mean, well, I don't know.
1: I mean, the Dominion trial took three years. I I think it just takes a long time for these things to work through the courts, particularly with COVID. I think things got backed up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we have it here in Colorado, we have it nationwide, and and, um, there are, I mean, there are cases, uh, as I said, um, at least my belief is, throughout American history where elections are questioned and there are cases of fraud. There were probably cases of fraud in 2020. The question is, was there ever enough evidence of that making a difference in the election, right? I mean, and it seems like there were a multitude of lawsuits at that time, not, not just this Dominion case, but you know, lawsuits specifically about the election where Trump's team uh, lost virtually every single case.
1: Uh, too many Trump-appointed judges, by the way, who were who are overseeing these cases.
0: Right, and that's a, that's another point to make. I, I mean, if they're on team Trump, then you'd think that he, you know, they would at least in some cases be leaning toward uh, if it's a marginal issue or a close call like okay, we need to you know, we need to let this go forward. Um, but it was overwhelmingly that judges jurisdictions all over the country whether they were Trump appointees or or not um found no evidence of widespread voter fraud.
1: Yeah, I think we'll get into that a little bit later. We'll also get into some of those statements you alluded to from Fox News hosts about maybe what they're thinking behind the scenes about some of the the big actors in 2020. But first, what I think is really important to do, Mike, is talk about we've been poo-pooing some of the, you know, (laughs) election integrity things going on, people involved. But
0: Well, you've been poo pooed. I actually, I think, and we should, I want to ask you about that, because that that term election integrity is now, I mean, on the left, because it's, you know, Trump, and Trump continues to say that election was stolen, and his team, the MAGA team, are, are all saying the same thing, or a lot of them are saying the same thing, and now the people on the left say election integrity itself is like a dog whistle, or, you know, some kind of code for, you know, right-wing conspiracy stuff, I don't think that's the way we should look at it. I think we should look at it. I I, I don't think it's a left or right issue. I think every single person in America, no matter what your political views are, should take election integrity very seriously.
1: Well, that's what I want to talk about. And you did poo-poo a little bit, let's be honest. Okay, don't put (laughs) that all on me. But I do want to talk about it because it is important to have a rule of law in elections. I think, unless you're crazy, I, I mean, everybody should want to have a free and fair election, right?
0: Well, it, it doesn't necessarily take a crazy person to not want that. It's someone who is overwhelming. It could be someone who's overwhelmingly concerned about power and their team winning. And I think that is the trend right now on both yeah. sides. Yeah. I think we have a trend. And, and, and I, I chalk this up to um, a lack of understanding, a lack of fundamental understanding of most American citizens and I use that word lightly, citizens. Most Americans are not citizens in the sense that I think they should be. They don't have a real engagement. They don't understand uh, civics. They don't understand history. They don't understand the proper role of government in any real shape. And it's partly because they've been coached about voting as being the most important thing. You know, we hear this, we hear uh, politicians, left, right, or in the middle, all talk about and lionize uh, the democracy that we're part of. And, I go overboard sometimes in trying to say, no, we're not a democracy at all. This is not what the founders, the founders abhorred democracy. They, and if you read the, the Federalist Papers, if you read what they wrote, they had studied enough history to know that democracy itself, and some people want to say, oh, well, you're talking about a pure democracy or uh, you know, democracy on every level. Well, democracy itself is about the mob. It's about saying, okay, we got a majority here, so we win that's what democracy boils down to. And of course, they institute the founders instituted a number of pieces of our government to say, yeah, we're going to have a majority vote on this in this case. But they had no intention of our federal government or even state governments being able to vote on the wide range of issues that we confront ourselves with today. It, it, not everything in the world that's a an issue in someone's mind should be able to be voted on in the way of counting noses and saying, well, okay, Let's
1: reintroduce wolves into the state of Colorado. Yeah, well, I
0: mean, there's all kinds of issues like that 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 perhaps should not be voted on. And, you know, as as we try to drill home here on the Defenders of Capitalism podcast, you know, the the proper role of government is to protect individual and property rights, period. That's it. Uh, And so— the role of government is to do that, and and that means that there are certain things that they can and, and certain things they cannot. Many things that they cannot or should not properly be voting on in the first place. So I want to, you know, I kind of wanted to get that off my chest yeah. a little bit, that you know, we shouldn't be lionizing, shouldn't be uh, worshiping. I, I almost think that the people today, in the context of what they think of citizenship means, is that the most important thing you can do as a citizen is vote. Um and I, I could not disagree with that more. Well, you'd say it's important. I would say it's marginally important. I mean, I, I think that people who, um, there, I can think of so many more important things to do with your life than you know who you're going to vote for in any in a particular election. And, and I mean that in the same sense of being a citizen. I mean, I think, a let's say, for example, a business person, who goes about their life being very productive, they're involved in their community in the sense of uh, whether it's their schools, uh, their church, civic organizations, uh, Rotary Club, or whatever it might be, but never voted. I think that person is a lot better than someone who goes to the polls completely ignorant of the issues, or the candidates, or the strengths, or the role of government or history, and is pulling a lever for a candidate on that day.
1: Yeah. No, I I agree. I do still consider my right to vote important, but that's what I think is maybe a great tragedy coming out of, you know, this whole thing over the dominion lawsuit, everything about Trump saying that the election is stolen. It does overshadow this greater issue of, you know, what does my vote mean? What does it mean to be a citizen? Everybody's so obsessed. Well, you know, were these votes counted correctly, blah, blah, blah. Well, at the fundamental level, I mean, what does it mean to be a citizen in the republic? And that's what I really wanted to make sure that we talked about.
0: Yeah, and I think that, I think that first of all, that means you have a certain, uh, a certain passion for freedom and for the, the way our system was constructed, even with its flaws. You understand the importance of Freedom in the context of the whole scope of human history, it's a rare thing. I mean, it's much more common today, and we kind of take it for granted. Uh, most people on the face of the earth today have more freedom. Now, there are certain pockets you know, that are still uh, extremely um, authoritarian or tyrannical, but most people in human history have lived under an authoritarian uh, system. We live in good times. We do. We live in wonderful times. We live in fantastic times, and it's, and there is a causal relationship between the amount of freedom that we have traditionally had in this country, and the kind of prosperity, health, uh, joy, um, all the things that are associated with having a good, flourishing human life. There's a causal relationship between that, and you know, I make the point, and I think you make the point well as well, Mitch that that causal relationship is the more freedom you have, the more actual freedom you have, the more civil of a society that you have and the more productive you have and the more ultimately human flourishing that you have. Um, And again, I I think we're going the wrong direction. It's partly, again, because people don't understand the proper role of government being only to protect rights. And they think, you know, oh, I got to be on the team. I got to be on a winning team that's going to protect me and my status in this group, uh, whether it's my status in the group of, you know, make America great a, again Republicans, or my status as a, you know, Black Lives Matter, or my status as a woman versus a male, versus my status as an individual who has inalienable rights to my life, my liberty, my property, my pursuit of happiness. Um, that that is what people don't understand very well, and that's why I want to you know make sure I push back on the whole idea of democracy uh, because you know the vote matters and who you vote for matters, but what what's more important is that you understand what the what the role of government should be
1: I, I do want to talk about voting in a little bit more detail, Mike. And one thing that I find disappointing, maybe disturbing is that uh, you know we just had the Denver mayoral election yep. a few weeks ago. And voter turnout
0: was around thirty-three percent of eligible voters. Yeah, and and, and, and you know I, this is a side, but it's amazing to me that I, I think I may be wrong about this. I don't know the stats, but I think you know the 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 number of voters um, in the Denver election is indicative of people's general apathy toward their government in the first place. Now, when we get a presidential election, that usually ends up having a little bit better turnout, and it certainly is. when when you have much more contentious presidential elections. Then there's you know, a push for more turnout because, because it matters, right? Because people are like, well, I got to have my guy win, my team win, because we want to make sure we're the ones in power. Um, but I think it's so silly that there's, there's, there's people out there saying, we need to expand the franchise, so to speak. We need to have 16-year-olds voting. Maybe 14-year-olds should vote. I mean, you can't get 35-year-old people in the city of Denver to turn out for an election. Why do we want to have more people voting, more uh, oftentimes ignorant people who don't understand the issues that they're voting on? Um, I I think it's silly to be talking about trying to have it easier or have younger people uh, able to vote. What are your thoughts on that? No, I
1: I agree on younger people being able to vote. I remember as a teenager growing up, I'm like, I really want, I want to be able to vote. Why can't I vote as a 14-year-old? This is stupid. You know, I'm voting for people who are making decisions in my life. And now I look back and I realize, I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I, I mean, honestly, I think the voting age should probably be higher than 18. Yeah. And I know that's controversial to say.
0: I, well, I, you know, that's, that's interesting you bring that up because I could, I could make a case, even maybe going to as young as 16 or potentially even younger, um, but not in today's world where we actually have coddled people. and They don't grow up until they're 40. Yeah, I mean, I'm
1: still just a, a little child.
0: I didn't mean that. I, present company, uh, not including. Oh, uh, oh thank you. But, but I do think you see my point about there's a lot of people out there who don't take responsibility for their own lives, let alone the importance of voting about issues that affect other people's lives. Um, and so there's no one in heck we should allow people younger than 18 to vote. And I, I generally think and I've talked about this before, I generally think that you know someone, uh, th- we should be relatively consistent. You know, so someone, if they're able to vote, they should be able to drink a beer. If they're able to drink a beer, they should be able to join the army. If they're, if all those things, that level of maturity at some point says, okay, this is what it means to be an adult. Now you're an agent uh, of your own life and you should have some say in how your government runs your life and you should have the ability to, to make important decisions about, you know, what you ingest and how you live your life. So I think those things should be relatively consistent. And, you know, there, there's a range there. Obviously, there's a rational range, but we're seemingly, in my my view, uh, stretching that to be, you know, people don't have to take responsibility for their actions in one sense until they're la- much later on in life. I mean, you know, this whole issue of uh, uh, forgiving student debt. Well, you know, uh, I shouldn't have to pay my student debt because I didn't understand what I was doing, or I didn't, I couldn't, I can't get a job to help myself pay that debt. Well, you shouldn't have taken that debt in the first place. I mean, you need to be able to make responsible decisions for for your life at some point. And certainly, if you can't pay your debt back, you shouldn't be voting, in my view.
1: One area where I think we do disagree, I I think, is maybe uh, not on, you know, age of voting, but on how should people be able to vote. And maybe it's a generational thing for me. You know, I think my, the first election in Colorado I was eligible to vote in, they had just started the mail-in ballot, and so that's been natural for me, and I think, oh, this is easy.
0: Yeah, piece of cake.
1: Actually, my first election, I did purposely go in to vote in person, just because I, I needed to actually have the, you know, that experience. That experience, yeah. But ever since then, I just vote by mail, and I think this is great. But I think we disagree on, on Well, that.
0: we do in the sense that, I mean, and, and this may sound uh, hypocritical on my part, because I don't think I've voted in person at the ballot box um, for multiple elections. Oh, then I don't want to hear it. <laughs> well, hear me out here, Mitch. I mean, the thing is that just because we make it easy and convenient, um, and I'm willing to take advantage of that convenience, doesn't mean that that's the proper way to run an election. Um, I, you're right. We do disagree on this. I don't think I actually think now, again, I'm not going to plant a flag on this. Uh, there are much more important, uh, things for me to advocate on this space on our podcast about what rights are, what, um, the proper role of government is, what it means to be a self-sufficient agent, a human being who takes respons- responsibility for themselves. There's much more important issues than, you know, should we have mail-in ballots or not? Yes. However, I think citizenship should mean something, and that to me means you're willing to make an effort. Now, does that mean we should have people, you know, crawl over glass to be able to vote? No, <laughs> but they should be able to show up on a day, on a specific day that we call the election day, and, and cast their ballot. I don't think we should have all these mail-in ballots, partly because I think it should require effort, but partly because I think that uh, the mail-in ballot does lend itself to potentially more fraud. Now, we and haven't do I really seen that, though. We haven't seen that. You're right, and I and I will admit that. Uh, you know, the, well, um, on the margin, I don't. I will take that back. On the margin, I think that you do have more potential for what I would call influence or undue influence over an election. Uh, you know, th- this whole idea of legal ballot harvesting—we haven't gotten to that point yet. But is that appropriate? I mean, is it appropriate for Me to go to my party, you know, Republican or Democrat, and and, you know, they throw a pizza party and they get everybody revved up and say, We got to get out the vote. We got to get our people out the vote, right? Right. And then, you know, the person gives you a list, and tops on the list is the nursing home where you can go over there and get lots of ballots of elderly people who maybe are not even uh, able to feed themselves or clothe themselves that day but we're by god we're going to get their ballot from them and we're going to make sure they vote for our team. Is that appropriate?
1: My first instinct is to say no. But then I think with here let me backtrack for a second actually cuz I think that's a good point Mike about you know being a good citizen is about making an effort to vote.
0: Not only making an effort to vote but making maybe even more importantly, making an effort to understand what the hell you're voting for, yeah. or who the hell you're voting well, for?
1: Well yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good clarification. That's kind of what I mean. But I guess for me, you know our because of the way that the world worked at the beginning of the Republic, we decided that an election day was going to be on a Tuesday. Mm-hmm. A lot of people work on Tuesdays now. It's very hard. You could be an active and engaged citizen, but maybe you just can't get off work that day. You're a nurse, you're a doctor, firefighter, you're not getting away from your job. And so I think in the, the current election system, that's why I like the idea of mail-in ballots, not necessarily ballot harvesting. But I think that's part of the reason why I think, well, I mean, if you can't get to the ballot box... You know what are you supposed to do?
0: Well, and, and let me make sure I m- make it clear. Before we had this universal mail-in balloting for as long as I can remember, um, and I'm a tad older than you are, oh, so just I've been through a few years. <laughs> so I've been through a number of these cycles more often than you have. And as as long as I can remember, there's always been the the process of being able to apply for and get an absentee ballot. And and that was never something that you know was denied for people. Then it, it wasn't like there's somebody sitting there going, well, we don't like the way they're going to vote, or the way they think they're going to vote, or we don't like the neighborhood they come from, we don't like the color of their skin, or whatever it is. They're not someone who's going, we're going to deny them this absentee ballot. But it shows again effort. Someone says, look, I can't, I work, or I'm overseas, I'm a I'm a soldier, or. I'm an elderly person who can't drive to the ballot box, but I still want to vote. You know, it, we've made it very easy for people to vote absentee, and I think that's different and inappropriate. But I do think that's different than having universal. Let's spray ballots. I mean, and again, I'm using some of the language, of maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe the nut jobs of people who are accusing the election of being stolen. But the, but you can imagine this. I mean, the, the thing is, you are increasing the odds. I think logically, you are increasing the odds of. Problems with a chain of custody when you're talking about saying, okay, we're going to mail out ballots to everyone, everyone out there. Or if you're, you know, that's just one example. Then if you say, well, you have same-day registration, that increases the odds of someone being able to vote without really being a citizen or without really being registered to vote. Or potentially being able to count their vote more than once. Yeah, I see what you're now, saying. Now, I agree with you, Mitch, that I do believe that we have enough of a remnant, and i uh, that's m- maybe overstating, we have enough of a, uh, a tradition or a, a culture of the rule of law. And I truly believe that that there there's overwhelming evidence that there was not any evidence that this election was stolen, the 2020 election was stolen. But I do think there's... Lots of opportunities for people to be critical of the election if they lose. And I would be in favor of shoring up those potential criticisms. I'm in favor of someone actually having an ID, you know, being able to say, I am a citizen, I am who I say I am, and I'm only voting once, having a legal ID. I mean, there's been multiple caricatures over the course of the last two or three years of, you know, you know whether a person has to—we you know, require uh, IDs to get into all kinds of other events. We require lots of lots of ways of uh, you having to identify yourself, but but we're sort of a l- little fast and loose on that with regard to elections.
1: Now, the, the counter-argument to that is usually people who say, well, you're a— you're in the inner city, you've never had to have a driver's license, so you're saying those people shouldn't be able to vote because they don't have a license.
0: Right, right. And that is the counter article. And, and I don't buy that in today. I don't buy that in today's culture. Um, I think that've we as a culture have gone over backwards trying to say, let's make sure that we you know get people licensed to drive or get them with IDs. Um, and they can prove in some sense, it's not too much of an effort for someone to prove that they are who they say they are. And I think it's important enough. I think it's important enough for, for all Americans to say, yeah, that was a fair election that we actually have that kind of, uh, identification process. So you would prefer Colorado go
1: back to in-person voting and then you can request your absentee ballot if
0: necessary. That's what I, I think. That's appropriate, and I actually think uh, um, one day, you know, this is election day. That's when the votes are tallied. That's when we actually do this. Now, I think it's worthwhile. when I mean, we have a holiday for everything else. I think it's worthwhile for. I'm not generally in favor of what I call holiday inflation. <laughs> you know, you know, continuing to have more and more federal days off because that's what it boils down to is is you know federal holidays because they can't necessarily. Uh, for at least at this point for someone to say you know you have to allow your employees to take Christmas off but there are certain recognized federal holidays I think it'd be worthwhile to say you know election day is a federal holiday is a holiday and you know this is an important enough thing to make sure that people have that day so they can vote now my bet is especially in today's culture uh, of people not really understanding and taking citizenship seriously you'd still have relatively low t- turnout if you did that
1: yeah, I think we probably would, but I do agree. I I think that there should be a holiday for it or just have it on a weekend or or something hmm. just to make it easier for people who who do have a career and and who maybe aren't able to get away from their job to be able to go and vote if we're not going to have you know the more universal mail in ballots. And I know you brought up a good point about the absentee ballot, but it's just easier if you just don't have to work that yeah, day. and and
0: and and that and that is the argument. People are like, you know, wait, we live in this society and we want to have people's voices heard. And so let's make it easy on them. And I, I understand that. And I again I don't want to plant a big flag on my my one day and get rid of the the mail in ballot. But I do think it's worth people thinking about that. And and uh, the most important part to me is citizenship itself should mean more than just voting every 4 years because that's what that's what happened you know most people like you said the majority of eligible people in Denver did not vote in this election which is a tragedy it is it is in one sense now in another sense i this is where i say voting isn't so important let's say i am very busy with my life i've got i've got kids i've got a job i've got all kinds of hobbies and i'm being very productive and living a great life myself but i don't really understand, you know, let's say I don't understand the issues very well, and I'm not motivated by them. I don't like any of these people who, who are wanting to have power over me. And so I say, you know, I'm, I'll just let other people, you know, hopefully somebody out there uh, who has done more research and has better understanding of these issues is representing my viewpoint.
1: I think that's okay. I think it's okay. But then you say, yeah, that person's busy, but you also want to make sure that that person... I mean, I think to truly be an active, engaged citizen in the republic, you want to make sure you at least have some understanding of the issues, candidates are in, that are involved. And if you live in the city of Denver, it's a pretty big deal who your mayor is going to be.
0: Well, but that's the big issue. It's, because, it's a big deal because they do have so much power over your life. Yes. Now, under, under a free market, under a capitalist system, where we, all we did was expect our government to protect our rights, there wouldn't be this wide range of things that our representatives get to vote on and yes. so they wouldn't have that much influence over my life in the first place so I, I might say you know um there are people who've thought about this more than i have and i'm i'm just living my life i'm living my life as a free citizen in the sense of i'm just you know being virtuous according to the the values and the and the things that i want to achieve with my life and and let other people vote. Uh, you know th- there's this narrow set of things that they have a right to vote on regarding my life, and if I don't care enough about those things, or if I, I do care about them, but I say, you know there's, there's other people out there. there's enough other people out there representing my viewpoint. I don't need to vote. And this brings up one of my
1: major pain points, and we've heard at every election that I've been eligible to vote. I guarantee we'll hear it in 2024. How many times do you hear somebody say? This is the most important election of our lives. If you don't vote,
0: we're all going to die. That's right. That's you know, right. and... Armageddon. Armageddon. I'm moving. That's the other thing is you hear all these Hollywood people, Or although now it's not even just Hollywood people. I mean, it seems like for a while there were, you know, famous actors or whatever who say, you know, if this Republican gets elected, you know, all hell is going to break I'm loose. moving to Canada. It's Nazism. I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> and then they don't, right? Yeah. But now we have people on both sides doing that. You know, if Biden gets elected, <laughs> it's it's the world is over as we know it. I'm moving to New Zealand.
1: Yeah. But I remember, I think this was a few election cycles ago, but I saw this great article that said, let's just make our elections less important. And I kind of agree with, that, you know, let's just have less at stake. Going back to your point, Mike. Let's make sure these people don't have enough power to transform our lives. That is
0: the key thing, and I think that's truly what the founders' intent was: is to say, you know, I mean, uh, uh, again, it's popular on the right, and I think it's uh, more often than not the right doesn't really understand that and follow through with this. But the term "limited government" means we, the founders, and we, the citizens, said we want a free culture, we want a free republic. And so what we're going to do is set up a government that actually limits their power over us. And so they have a fairly narrow set of things that they can vote on. So, I mean, there, there's there's so many things that we have today where our government does regulate us, tax us, you know, mandate this, social engineer that. You know, should all those things be on the plate? Should they be up for voting? Should they be something our legislators even can consider? Right. And my answer is no, and that's why I say you know, we gotta quit, We got to quit emphasizing the vote. This reminds me of a conversation I had this morning. You know you know Eric Sandstrom, right? And, yeah, and yeah. our audience knows Eric Sandstrom. Eric is our Defenders of Capitalism winner for 2016, and he is the Associate Director of the Defenders of Capitalism Project. And he brought a quote to me uh, just this morning at breakfast. It's a Tom Sowell quote, so you know it's going to be good. But Tom Sowell evidently thought, elections should be held on April 16th is appropriate now since we're in mid-April, the day after we pay our income taxes. That is one of the few things that might discourage politicians for being such big spenders. I thought that was a great quote. Um, and I wonder if that would change any, any outcome in terms of the elections. You know, if, if, if we held the election the day after you had to write checks to your government to say, are they doing the right thing with my property, my money, my you know, hard-earned life energy?
1: Well, we talked about this on a previous episode. The problem these days, though, Mike, is that—well, I know I've spoken with you. Both of us actually owe the IRS this year. But, you know, a lot of people, they get their refunds. So I saying, oh, yeah, this is great. It's April 16th, and I have more money in my bank account.
0: You know, that that, that is a good point. People may vote uh, that way. They'd say, hey, you know, uh, someone out there in Washington is working for me because I got a refund. Now again, that's obviously a very ignorant position. I mean, yes. uh, a refund it's your money. Your refund it means they're returning <laughs> money that you paid in. Thanks for the yours. interest for your loan. That's right; it's yours in the first place. Uh, but you're making a good point about that. I mean, I, I think uh, one of those principles that we talk about in the Defenders of Capitalism program, and, it, and actually even the Leadership program. You know, uh, Bob Schaefer does a really good job of this. On uh, it's Milton Friedman's uh, um, spending grid. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I think you probably are. Oh yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, where it's my, it's a grid, there's four boxes to it. And it's like, when I spend my money on me, I get good results because I care about the value and I care about how much uh, money I'm spending when I'm spending your money on me. Oh, I'm going to go nuts because (laughs) I'm focused on me, but I'm not using my money.
0: Exactly. Exactly, and it's you know it's one of those sort of uh, ways of looking at the world. I mean, there's all kinds of business matrices. You know these these four grid ways of looking at the world. You know that kind of break it down logically. You know, am I spending my money on myself, or am I spending my money on you, or am I spending your money on me, or am I, am I spending your money on you? Um, but I think I think Bob does a good job of that, and, and that's kind of what I think that that uh, Tom Sowell quote gets at is. You know, people, uh, you know, when they're talking about their own money, their own pocketbook, their own—and it might be, you know, if we voted somewhere around tax day, people might uh, have a different view. Potentially not, but I think that's worthwhile mentioning.
1: So, okay, I think we've talked about—we still think election integrity as a concept is important. We've talked about voting. We have some disagreements maybe on the process of voting, but overall— As a good citizen, you want to make sure you're educated on the issues, and, you know, let's just make make it so that the actual election day, not everything's at stake, because we actually have limited government. Exactly. That's the principle of it. Exactly. We've established that, but we have skirted around this issue a little bit of the 2020 election. So let's talk about that a little bit, Mike, and let's talk about election integrity, quote-unquote, as it relates to allegations in 2020, specifically that Joe Biden is not the duly elected president of the United States, that Donald Trump won fair and square, and due to Dominion or, you know, whatever, other county-level officials, votes were not properly counted, and Biden won illegitimately.
0: That's the accusation.
1: Let's unpack that.
0: That is absolutely the accusation, but it's— as uh, you and I have discussed before, this was actually a strategy in the first place, right? I mean, this was this was Donald Trump's strategy even before the election. It
1: was. During one of the debates, I, I don't remember which, it may have been the second or the third, but he said people are going to be cheating like you wouldn't believe. You know, he already was setting this up.
0: Yeah, so what would he have said if he'd have won? Well, I overcame the cheating. I overcame the cheating. Yeah. This guy's, uh, <laughs> his ability to twist things is amazing. It is. I mean, he's a marketing uh, spin-meister genius in that sense. He um, is. And it's amazing how many people fall for it. And I mean, it, it, in one sense, it's not amazing because it is reactionary. Uh, you know, the, the the term reactionary is, is meant purposefully here. People are reacting, people who who see before their very eyes um a government that isn't staying in its proper role um a government that continues to spend you know money it doesn't have and regulate uh our economy to death um so they're tired of that and and they so they want to hear someone say I'm a fighter.
1: Right, I'm speaking truth to
0: power. Right. Truth to power and I'm a fighter for you. I'm the only thing that stands between you and this this deep state uh, um, le- leviathan type government. Um, now, in one sense, I'm like, I, I will fall for that myself. Give me somebody like that. Give me somebody who's a fighter for who will fight for freedom, who will fight for to make America great again. Well, and let's so let's talk about that, Mike. So,
1: it, it, just for personal preference, right? We could say that in some ways, in a lot of ways, probably Donald Trump was a lot more business friendly, quote unquote we've talked about this before, I'm rolling what my that eyes. Means. But, you know, in terms of regulation, trying to roll back regulation, in terms of tax laws, he did some good things, I think, for people who appreciate liberty. So wouldn't we say, well, we should be jumping on the election integrity 2020 bandwagon because we want Trump in office rather than Biden, who has, I think, been a disaster for many reasons. Absolutely. So... Why aren't we jumping on that bandwagon?
0: Well, I I think we identified that earlier, and the term is the rule of law. I mean, the term is that, the principle is that um, even if you have someone who makes noises or even does, through their actions, show appreciation for more freedom, if if you do it, if you give up the idea that we are a government and a nation of laws then you really are on the path to a banana republic, as, as you know, many people observe right now. You're on the path to uh, ultimately an authoritarian thug. And again, I, I think uh, Donald Trump plays that part fairly well, and I think he admires authoritarian thugs throughout the world. Oh, no, absolutely. Now, again, I think that uh, Biden is no different in that way. I mean, different style-wise— but I think that's the—I tr- mean, wh- what's amazing to me is people think of these two people and these two parties as being radically different, like, you know, way, way different than each other. And unfortunately, I think they're very similar. Um, now, they have, you know, they have their own special pro- pet projects, you know, whether it's a social issue like abortion or, uh, you know, any particular regulatory issue or defense or whatever it might be. But they're, in every case— They're wanting their team, their guy, their power broker, regardless of what the rule of law is, regardless of whether they won fair or squarely. And and that's that's what's dangerous right now, is if we're giving up on the rule of law, the principle of the idea that uh, all Americans are equal before the law, then we've lost all.
1: Well, and so now I know people will come in and they'll say, well, yeah, right, I'm for the rule of law. The election was stolen. Trump is the lawful president. But, I mean, let's just... Let's summarize it. I don't want to go through every piece of evidence that's out there to refute the election was stolen idea. But I mean, really, we've had lots of studies that have determined maybe there has been some fraud. Not saying that there's no fraud anywhere in the country, but nowhere near the magnitude of voter fraud occurred that would have tipped the election from Trump. To Biden, um, there was one report in 2021 that um, it found about 475 possible instances of voter fraud out of 25 million votes cast that it was that it was studying. So not zero, but far less than one percent. Yeah, minuscule, minuscule. Yes, um, there were a lot of bizarre claims going around. Uh, many of them that were being put out by Donald Trump himself. You know, that Dominion votes were deleting, Dominion machines were deleting votes, that Dominion's owned by the radical left. Uh, Well, it turns out actually (laughs) Dominion uh, has made donations to figures in both political parties. It's hired people who've previously been affiliated with both political parties. There were lots of claims that the number of votes exceeded the number of registered voters in some counties. As it turns out, that's not true. There were allegations that some of the servers that collected people's votes were in Germany or Spain, and the U.S. military flew in and seized the servers. And this was right after the election. You know, they're going to seize the servers, and we are going to, you know, Sidney Powell is going to, you know, ride triumphant through Washington D.C. and and have Donald Trump. Reinstated president, the U, the U.S. military. She was
0: going to bring the Kraken into it somehow. She was going to
1: bring the Kraken. Yeah, she she unleashed the Kraken about forty-seven <laughs> times, and I have no idea what the Kraken was.
0: No, I don't know what she was talking about. No, there.
1: she doesn't either. It turns out, and some of the Fox News hosts actually agree with us, but you know these allegations. Well, that's what's
0: amazing. They agree with us, uh, but that's not what they said. No, it's not, not what, what they, they said, said on air.
1: <laughs> but you know these allegations that the U.S. military was seizing voting machines that were illegally being counted or servers that were illegally counting votes in, uh, in Europe. It, it all turned out to not be true. I mean, really, the results are in. The 2020 election was not stolen. And it's okay, as a defender of capitalism, to say, I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like his policies. But I also don't think the election was stolen.
0: Yeah, and I, I definitely agree with that. And, I, you know, the thing is that I don't know if you were in that shape uh, right after the election, where you might have said something? Because I certainly was. I have to admit this. I certainly was in that condition of saying, not that I was rooting for Trump at all. In fact, you know, you, you're, I don't know, are you a Republican right now? Yeah, I was. I actually registered unaffiliated after January 6th. After January 6th? Yeah. Well, as you know, I, I registered unaffiliated uh, once the Republicans nominated uh, Trump in 2016. However, I, I have been a Republican in the past, and I, I tend to vote for Republicans more than Democrats. And during the 2020 election, or right after that, and there was all this news, including from Fox, I was empathetic with the idea that maybe there was some irregularities, maybe there were some problems. You know, There, there was COVID, COVID uh, changes in the law because of COVID. You know in in state laws to right. say okay we, we have to react to the pandemic, so we've got to make it easier for people to vote and maybe that made it easier to cheat. I was empathetic with that, even I probably even said i think I, th- I think I said to my one of my best friends, you know what about this Dominion thing something like that to right. that effect because um, you didn't know right I didn't know and I was and and I did not want Biden to become elected I didn't want Trump to get reelected <laughs> you wanted nobody to win <laughs> I wanted to have a timeout on these guys but um but I was empathetic with that. And, but you know, the thing is, I think for any rational person paying attention to more than one source of news, um, and, and that's one of the problems that people have, is they, they get on this team, whether it's their political party or their source of news, who's, gonna, who's their echo chamber. And the, and the news and the technology industries have kind of taken advantage of it. We can sell more pillow guy to someone who will keep you know, hearing what they want to be told um and you have to be able to filter that you have to be able to say wait okay maybe i really really want donald trump to be re- reelected i really believe that he's the one who's who's going to fight against the 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 deep state and the woke uh, irrational culture that we have right now and i believe he's he's the best man for the job but you got to be able to say let me turn the channel or maybe read a newspaper or maybe i look at some other evidence and anyone who did that Anyone who actually did any kind of let me self-check, let me self, let me do some filtering, and you did that. I did that. Realizes that that the whole claim of that election being stolen is bogus.
1: And we teased this at the beginning of the podcast, so you know we've we've got to talk about it now, Mike. What the Fox News hosts actually were saying when they weren't behind the camera and we're getting some great revelations thanks to this uh, Dominion lawsuit that we referenced but uh Laura Ingram for instance she uh i guess i should say allegedly i don't know that we've directly seen these texts no messages. and
0: that's the challenge i mean that that is the challenge is that that uh very few people have primary evidence you know like directly observable you know we don't have we weren't there when uh, Laura Ingraham said this, right? I no. wasn't there, so I can't be a witness to it. so uh, but there there can be a preponderance of the evidence. Well,
1: I would say I would say there's a preponderance of evidence, given the fact that Fox decided to settle the lawsuit rather than force all these people to actually testify in court.
0: Not only that settlement, but there have been a number of people with more integrity, I would say than Tucker or Laura or other maybe Hannity I'd put that in that category. There are people there are people at Fox who have come out. And said, you know, this was bullshit, and these people were lying, or there are people who were primary prior uh, Fox News personalities or Fox uh, employees who are no longer, partly because, uh, you know, or maybe contributors. You know, there are people yeah. who like, uh, you know, there, there's a number of people out there who who were contributors who now were saying, "Well, this is BS." Who who uh, no no longer get invited on Fox News?
1: No, but I think. That's a good point, Mike. Because I think Fox News has some good reporters. Brett Baer, I think, is pretty good.
0: Yeah, Neil Cavuto. I mean, Neil there's, Cavuto? there's some great reporters. That's that's the unfortunate thing is those people now get viewed with a uh, a more skeptical eye, and they have that much more difficulty in actually making the case about okay, we're reporting facts here. Yeah. Um, and it, and it's a tragic thing. And 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 the thing, but the thing is, uh, the market should speak. And people of integrity should say and should be very skeptical of what at least the uh, opinion side of Fox News is is peddling these days.
1: And all that to say, some of the evidence that we're told was going to emerge in the Dominion case had it not been settled. We had a statement from Laura Ingram that uh, she called Sidney Powell, the one-time Trump associate who, I guess, ended up getting fired or let go. I don't know what happened there. But anyway, Laura Ingram called Sidney Powell a complete nut. No one will work with her. Ditto with Rudy. By that, means, she means Rudy Giuliani, who really, I think, went nuts in 2020 as well. Um, And Tucker Carlson, who I know a lot of people really like, but he wrote text messages, um, I think, just a couple days before the Capitol riot, allegedly, that uh, he said, "quote I hate him passionately. What he's good at is destroying things. Meaning Trump, he's the undisputed champion of that. He could easily destroy us if we play it wrong. There really isn't an upside to Trump."
0: And that that was a, I think that was probably a moment of uh of honesty there. Um, I agree with him that that, that is what uh, Trump is good at is destroying things. Um it's unfortunate that Tucker uh was playing both sides there and you know it's it's also interesting when you read about uh Rupert Murdoch the guy who who controls owns uh the Fox News um you know sort of hearing about all this and then saying we can't we can't have we can't have this this is this is not good we're not going to um peddle this these lies but then saying, "Well, no, we're going to do it for, for profit." Um, it, it's unfortunate about that. I mean, you wonder you wonder whether he would have, you know, how much integrity Rupert Murdoch has in terms of being able to say, you know, we, we really do want to have a news news organization. And again, that's a difficult thing of of being in that position, especially when you have, I mean, people refer to low information voters who who seem to be rampant today, but people who won't do that filtering, they won't you know, they won't say. You know, wait, okay, I'm taking this news article or this news piece into account, but I'm going to actually try to, uh, you know, do some verification or get a different perspective. Uh, You have very little of that today, and that's unfortunate.
1: It is. Um, And I guess, you know, before we wrap up, Mike, I think, you know, on this election integrity issue regarding 2020, you know, the lines are pretty firmly in the sand. I think people listening who firmly believe the election was stolen, I doubt that our one podcast has changed any minds. Hopefully, it's made you think about it a little bit differently. But for me, what irritates me about the whole thing is that I I wish people would refocus their intention on something you said a few minutes ago, which is whether a Democrat is president or a Republican is president, we have a continued history— of violating individual rights, we're racking up an unbelievable amount of national debt, which right now Republicans are fighting, and then Democrats are going along with it. Well, it turns out when a Republican is president, Republicans just go along with increasing the national debt, the Democrats start fighting it. So there's no consistency in terms of no, which that, party... No, that,
0: that's what's crucial, is that, that, that we, we are no longer... We're living off of a legacy of this, but we're no longer a country of principle. Yeah. Um, neither party really has any principles. I mean, my view is that the, the Democratic Party is completely bankrupt and is entirely about power, and the Republicans are fast on their heels with the added addition of saying, we hate the Democrats. <laughs> right. <laughs> no matter what they do, even if they do something right, and it, and it actually it does protect individual rights, which they rarely do, but occasionally... Uh, we're still against them right um and that's that's as close as we get to a principle why are they saying they love america they should love america to infinity
1: (laughs) yeah no i i just I, i think for me what's important is to focus on you know how do we actually be defenders of capitalism promote liberty and focusing so much time and energy on the stolen election, it takes away from work that I think is actually important or more meaningful. That's my opinion.
0: Well, and, that, and that's partly uh, the purpose of this podcast, is to make sure we're pointing out both the hypocrisy there and the anti-principled nature of our current discourse, but also to point to that more important work of educating people on the, the value of having a free society. And, and I have gotten in the habit of saying, you know, a civil rights-respecting society, which I think is synonymous with the idea of capitalism. Now, again, because most people don't understand capitalism, it's sort of unknown in the context of the way we're using that term. Yeah. There's some ed- educational challenge that we have to do. But, but that's what it boils down to, is that if you want to have a civil society, less contention— then you have to remove force, which means you have to remove the government. The government is nothing but force. You have to remove the government from lots of its activities right now because that's what's impinging upon our freedom. The the whole idea of of having elections to say, okay, now my mob is in power, my team, my gang, my, my uh, power guy is in power.
1: Which is what it is. That's what it is. And Ray Dalio, a uh, famous... Um, I guess hedge fund yeah, guy. Yeah, investor. Yeah, he uh, he has said you know he really fears for 2024 because we have gotten to the point where it's I want my son of a gun in office because he's going to become president and we're going to punish all those people who made my life miserable the past four years.
0: Yeah, and that and that is that is the uh, hallmark of of you know most of human history of having that kind of. You know, power struggle versus a civil society, and and you know, I think Ray, I think Ray Dalio maybe overstates. I mean, I, I I like the fact that he actually wrote a book on principles, and he's got a whole whole series of things going on right now about principles. Great book, by the yeah, way. It is, um, but I also think that he may be uh, overstating it. At least I hope he's overstating. It. Me when too. He, when he talks about the urgency with regard to 2024, I mean, again, going back to your point, you know, how many times have we heard this is the most important election of our lifetime? How many times have we said, you know, because a person is trying to move you toward their team and their gang, they're saying it's crucial. You got, you, you just have to. We're so far gone. You have to, you have to join me. That whole having time to breathe and and deliberate and talk about the rule of oh, law. Yeah, don't do those that. days are over. Yes, right. Well, here on the Defenders of Capitalism podcast, we're here to say there is time. There is uh, maybe we're running out, but there is time for deliberation, reason, rationality, and persuasion, and hopefully we've persuaded you a little bit about this whole issue of election integrity. Mitch, I have really enjoyed this. I'm glad you put together a good outline for us. And hopefully people will share this, like it, give us feedback, let us know what you think. Agree or disagree, we we'll want to hear from you. And this is Mike Williams and Mitch Whiteus signing off from the Defenders of Capitalism Podcast.